0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the volleyball community, and he's accomplished a lot. So, today's guest is a provincial team athlete here in Ontario. He played five years at York University, played a year of pro in Slovenia. He's still involved in volleyball playing with the Rough Riders. He was a member of Big Up. He's played in the OVL, he's played in one volleyball, and he's still a member of Canada's Masters team. Please welcome to the show Dr. Andrew Sulitiki. Sula, thanks for doing this, man.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. It's uh, excited to be here. You've had uh, a lot of great guests on the podcast, so it's uh, it's a privilege to uh, be part of
0: this. Yeah, we've been lucky to get a lot of stories, so hopefully uh, with your generation with Sleener and some other guys, uh, you know, they, they've probably got stories on you, so feel free to tell some stories on them before we get like Delaney and those guys on the show. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so what's interesting about volleyball, is some people have some some creative entry points where they start late or we've had guys play pro who start as late as high school but for you w- with you being you know in the family with frank and Rosica, who are I-, I think they're in every hall of fame ova hall of fame ccaa OCAA, like j- just volleyball people through and through were you one of the kids who could pepper at four years old or what was your start in volleyball
1: yeah that's you know what uh, there, there's two things with that was um like my mom You know, was playing still back when OVA still had like uh, men's and women's ball, was playing double A and A ball in her 40s until uh, uh, she actually ruptured her Achilles. But I remember as a kid, like she wouldn't have daycare, so she'd take me to tournaments, you know. And so I'd be like uh, watching, you know, watching her team play, chasing after balls, shagging balls. You know, they're getting warm up, scoring, doing all that type of stuff. So there was that aspect. And then my dad, since I was a kid, was coaching. So same deal. Uh, A lot of evenings I'd be, they'd put the uh, hockey nets up to barricade me and uh, while they would be practicing and I'd either be doing like schoolwork or something, or once again, chasing after balls and then just trying to mimic what they're doing, you know, hitting balls against the wall, trying to start peppering. And uh, yeah, so I, I got, I got my start pretty early.
0: Now, obviously anyone who's ever met you, you're, you're a pretty big dude. So were you playing other sports? Like were you drawn to basketball or anything else? Or were you mainly like a volleyball guy as soon as you played organized sports?
1: No, so my I think what was great was my my parents uh, exposed me to a lot. So I even did uh, gymnastics as a kid. So you know anyone who's knows me for my antics uh, post volleyball on the on uh, the dance floor knows I can do the splits, which is always kind of my big uh, uh, calling card with I guess with some of the teams. But uh, um, yeah, as a kid I did gymnastics. I played hockey. The only reason I stopped playing hockey was uh, I. I'm one of the few people I know whose shoe size was bigger than his age. So by the time I was in, I think, grade six, I was in a size 13. Then grade seven, I went into a 14. And um, at that point, getting skates in a 14 and then a 15 was, um, you'd have to go custom. And that's when I started getting more into the volleyball and into the basketball. But uh, yeah, you know, in summers, I played soccer and baseball. So I didn't start, you know, even though I was around volleyball a lot, I didn't start doing, I guess, the club thing until grade six, grade seven. And before that, it was pretty much everything else.
0: Yeah, let us know what your era was like, because I was really excited to learn that, like Sleener mentioned, if he had a high school tournament and a club tournament, he wanted to go to the high school tournament because it was good. And, and there's rumors out there. I don't think Jeff Chung played club. If not, he definitely didn't play a lot. So there was a lot of good high school players here in Ontario. So was that where a competitive ball was for you? Or did you find it in club? Because I think today, if you want to play club there, there's basically a club in every neighborhood. Right. But in your era, mm-hmm. I think they were fewer and far between. Right.
1: Yeah, much, much fewer and farther between. It was a little different for me just because my high school team was not like that. My high school was not a volleyball school whatsoever. And I was the only club player or, you know, uh, player of like that played any like higher level volleyball, like throughout my whole my whole time there. But, you know, like in in terms of the schools, like I think a lot of the good, strong programs. Yeah, I. It was interesting because I'd say the strong high school programs were were probably the bigger draw. But for me, my I guess my school had a good academic uh, reputation, so I ended up going there. So then my for my competitive outlet, the main thing was was club volleyball. and And back then it was uh, Scarborough Solars, which was at the time was a huge volleyball club. So but it's interesting how the school uh, component really, Uh, shaped a lot of a lot of players i I think in scarborough you had bliss carmen which was uh, elementary school that was uh one of the teachers there was uh, john wharf who ended up coaching uh, uh, for the scarborough solars as well and he coached uh, like doug mcbride ryan McNeil, george lubachick paul carter like all all these guys who all went on and a lot of a lot of the guys went to Laurier and then you know, we played together in club, then provincial team, and then some down to the States and, you know, university ball as well. So from my perspective, club was my, my, my big draw just because my high school team, honestly, uh, wasn't the greatest.
0: Now, it's interesting that, Eric, because Solars doesn't exist, but I think the stories are still out there. So in your opinion, why was that club so strong? Like, I, I understand there was something with the fees that I think you were partnering with a bingo hall. So a lot of kids who maybe couldn't afford to play would just volunteer and work and pay their fees off that way, that it was very inclusive that way. And and you just mentioned a bunch of names there, or even like John Childs, the Solars guy. Like a, a lot of, if you were a good volleyball player in Toronto, it sounds like you came through the Solars program, right? Yeah, it
1: was, it was one of the... You, you, you. You know your history well. It's uh, It was one of the, the bigger clubs in, in the whole GTA. Um, there was like the North York Huskies and a couple of Spartans and a few other teams. But in the base of Toronto area, the biggest club, and I'd say probably the, the best club, was um, the, the Solars. And, yeah, they had this re- – this was back in the day when bingos were a big thing and there weren't all the – initially the charity casinos and then all the casinos. The main form of gambling, you know, it was, was bingo. So – Um, you know, I think there was over at one point 20, 30 bingo halls all within, you know, Toronto. But I think as part of their license, they had to support some either sports organizations or charities. So with the Solars, they had, you know, they, they generated a lot of income through, through that bingo. And I, you know, talking to guys, like, I think my, you know, when I was probably 16U, which was juvenile back then, I think my club fees were maybe 250 bucks. And that, yeah and but that also meant you know we were we had a tournament in quebec it was covered you know like we we had a, the there was a club van the club owned a couple vans and then also we just rent a van uh we'd go to the tournaments that was all covered it's a, you know we'd have to and we'd get our uniforms if we wanted track suits or bags that was extra but it's it's just a different world than you know what i think uh you know my kids first are playing uh, paying now and i know like talking to john and um Dave Chambers, who was very involved with the club. I think the Satellites, which was a premier men's team in the club, their budget back in the 80s, I think they had a, like a 20 to 25 thousand dollar budget, and so they most of their competition, the best competition, wasn't in Toronto. They'd go down to the states to play, or to Quebec, or out west. So it's just a you know different world and. Unfortunately, you just can't get sponsorship or funding like that for clubs. So it has to come from somewhere else now.
0: So with you coming from like a volleyball family and coming through a competitive club system, was the university always in the cards for you or what was your recruiting process like? Because I think there was people in that era, like you said, like Doug McBride went to the US, which I think was still pretty rare at that time for a Canadian to go to the NCAA. But were you interested in leaving the province or did you know that you were going to be an Ontario guy and a GTA guy when you were looking for post-secondary options?
1: So I actually, well, I, like I had to, like, I was kind of keeping all my options open. So I went down, I really initially thought I was going to go down to the States. So I I had, I think because my, both my older sisters had gone down to the States, but obviously women's volleyball, because that's a prime NCAA sport for, uh, well, for women. So, you know, they both had full rides and the whole team basically had full scholarships. Whereas NCAA rules at the time, I think were only three scholarships, full scholarships for the team for men's and so they'd split that amongst all the players so I went on a recruiting trip I went to uh Penn State uh Rutgers and then IPFW, and uh I was very interested in Penn State had a really good uh trip down there um really liked the coach and they had a great program which you know a couple years later ended up winning the uh first time an East Coast team won the uh uh national championships but what had happened was I was pretty sure I was going to go, and I actually declined all my acceptances to Ontario schools, which were, I applied to, I think, just actually was York and U of T. Um, I think that was it, because I really thought I was going to go down to the States. But then uh, they could never commit with how much they were going to offer. And I think in the end it came out to uh, maybe six or 7000 for my first year, but out-of-state tuition alone was 13000 and then, you know, room and board and books and everything like that. And, uh, I remember talking to my parents and they were like, listen, if you want to do it, we'll support you. But I don't know. I just decided then and Wally, Wally Diva York had been like on me, uh, to come since I was probably in elementary school. And so, uh, I kind of contacted him and said, you know, I declined my acceptance, but I think I'd actually like to come to York. And, uh, he, uh, I said, can I still get in? And he, he kind of obviously jumped and said, here, I'll see what I can do. And I got in and, you know, that's that's where I ended up.
0: Nice, nice. And and just another question about uh, your era, because I'm not I'm not implying that you're old. I'm just saying your era has changed a little bit. So uh, your your provincial team experience, I think, is a little bit different than what this era is experiencing in terms of I don't think there was a high performance center. At least it didn't look like what it looks like now. And was your era the one where you would travel a little bit more? Because Hernan's told me stories where like Paul Durden and a few guys got to go on like international trips. So with your provincial team, who was coaching it? Who were your teammates? And and what was the competition? Did you play a national team challenge cup or did you have a chance to travel? Like what was that experience like?
1: So yeah, provincial team was uh, was was a great experience. Um, I, uh, I was actually one year I was well, hopefully planning to play, and I got mono and was out for a whole summer, but then the following summer I played, and uh, Brenda Willis was the coach, and uh, Dave Preston was the assistant coach. Um, so two, obviously, huge Ontario volleyball names there. Um, and then in terms of the, the guys on the team, we um, well, Paul Durden was redshirt my year, which is pretty crazy to say, being he's just such a, was not such a phenomenal athlete, but he, at the time, I think what was he 15 and you know just had this man body and big 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 hands and but he was he i think he was only six four at the time you know and then the next summer he shows up and he's even bigger and stronger but uh so my year he was redshirted we had uh jeff chung end up being national team player doug mcbride obviously went down to the states uh ryan mcneil uh another guy played here in, uh in canada and in the u.s who else we have uh, dave Cantor. You know, another national team middle. Uh, Jeff White, another national team middle. We had uh, Anthony Fenton as a left side. Uh, Paul Carter, another uh, Scarborough guy who ended up playing uh, for Queens for a bit and Ryerson and uh, out in Europe. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think uh, who else. Uh, Ted Barlow, Ian Clark. Um, oh, Dustin Reed. How can I forget Dustin? Hey, like, there's a good no, shout out. Like, yeah, like. Just, you know, incredible group of guys and so many guys who ended up, you know, playing high level, either uh, international, like either national team, internationally. So just a great squad, really competitive. Mike Spence, my, my good buddy, Mike Spence, who we're still playing together now, which is fantastic. So really, really good team. snish Dordovic, uh, who went down to Lewis College as well. I think that's most of the squad there. But we, yeah, with provincial team, because we trained at Queens the whole summer. And then we had tournaments. So we had the, yeah, the national team challenge cup or yeah, national challenge cup. And then we also had a tournament in Saskatoon, which was the only thing I remember really unique about that was, was once again, it was all provincial teams, but uh, there was a U.S. junior national team came up at the same time to play. And we ended up playing them in the finals, which unfortunately, I believe we beat them in pool play. And then we lost to them in the finals. But uh a really good experience Uh, besides that we had it was mainly at queens um ntccs were in quebec and then just we had a couple exhibition matches um and that was pretty much yeah we didn't unfortunately we did some traveling i know some of the other teams um ended up going down to the states uh and uh, playing some tournaments there but for us we just had the one in saskatoon and uh, quebec as well
0: Nice. Yeah. So I, I think that was the era. Like when you say you spent the summer in Kingston, like Kingston's a great city, especially in the summer, but were you guys yeah. doing double days? Like I feel like the program right now you go to HBC and then obviously you train a little bit with your squad. But when I was with the program, I think we had HBC and then you were training maybe a week and a half and went to NTDCs. So like it was a pretty quick summer where I feel like you, you guys felt like Kingston was your home for the summer, right? Like it was a little bit longer, I think.
1: Oh yeah. 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 We were there pretty much like there were some training camps while like school was still on. And then pretty much when school was done for all of July, we were, we were in uh, Kingston. Um, we helped out where there was uh, world league volleyball was in Toronto. And we went down for that to help out and volunteer. But yeah, it's pretty much the whole, like we, we had at least a good month, month and a bit together. Uh, I remember there was one little, we had a little break for a little bit around that world league time, but, uh, um, Yeah, it wasn't like just a week or two. It was a good over like over a month. We're pretty much living there. So it was, yeah, it was a good, you know, good training. And uh, um, sometimes we had everything from I remember we did strength and conditioning stuff. We always had at least one in gym practice. And then there was usually a visualization component or goal setting component as well. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was a great summer.
0: Nice and just to circle back a little bit, you may you mentioned that uh, Wally made the call, so you you commit to go to York University and, and help me with the timing. So I think when we had Sleen on the show, because he mentioned like. Selena is a great guy and I'm sure when he's out if he pops in him, he'll pop off, but he was pretty classy in his answer saying, you know, he, they were successful. He won an OUA championship every year. He was there, but he didn't feel like they were heads and above the best team in the league. And he actually mentioned York when they had Rich and George. So I'm wondering, were you on that team and who else would have been strong in the league? I think Ryerson had some strong teams like the, the league was actually pretty balanced, even though U of T went on a bit of a run, right?
1: Yeah. So like, so we won um, my first two years at York, we won back to back OUs. Um, but that was pre, uh, in terms of U of T, that was pre-Jeff Chung, pre-Sleen, uh, pre-Ross pre Clark, uh, Dustin did his one year there too. That was pre, all pre-those guys. So, so, so my first years, we, we had a really good squad and um, our biggest competition at the time in the East, and this is before the East and the West crossed over uh, in regular league play. So we would you'd pretty much only play in the East unless it was a tournament. Um, and then you'd have the winner of the East and the winner of the West. And they would play for uh, provincials, which now I know there's a lot more crossover, which I think is a good thing. But uh, at the time, my first two years of strongest competition was Queens. So they, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think who's on that team. Like Dave Cantor was one of the rookies. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, was Kevin Chiswell was setting. Who else Kevin Graham was a great middle. They had Eric Schofield. Like a, a lot of a lot of good players there. Obviously, Brenda had a great program. Uh, on the east, so it was Queens. And then in the West, it was Mac was finishing. Like Mike Chaluka had finished, but uh, Andrea Scher was still setting. They had G Pop, who ended up playing on the national team for a bit. Um, I think Barry Toplikki played one year. So, um, in the, in the East, sorry, in the West, it was usually Western and, um, Mack were the two strong teams my first couple of years. And then in the East, it was Queens. Later, Ryerson had a really strong team with, um, uh, I'm trying to think who was on that team. A lot of good athletes. Was that They're the
0: Andrew White thing. era at Ryerson or where was he? Um- yeah.
1: Andrew, yeah, Andrew White came. There was a stretch where they had like Andrew White, Clayton, Karen uh, Jamal Thomas, Paul Carter. So a bunch of ex Scarborough Solar's guys, actually. Plus, uh, like Mike Griffin was there, Rob Gannett, who's another Solar's guy, phenomenal athlete. Um, so they had this really, really physical uh, team. I think their kind of weakness was Jamal, who was setting for him, wasn't the. Uh, he wasn't a natural setter. He he was originally left side converted to a center. And I think that was kind of there because physically they were such a like athletic team, but they just, uh, you know, I think they, if they had a little smoother offense, uh, you know, they probably would have done even better. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, back then. So Ryerson uh, kind of mm-hmm. went up the ranks and then you like, obviously you've because once Jeff Chung, you know, Jeff got there, like or stars had a good program, but Jeff came in and they got some other key pieces you know, like Mike Sleen and uh, uh, Ross Clark and a lot of these other guys, they just um, you know really had a, that fantastic run. And my my last year, uh, I was listening to that Sleen podcast. And my last year, like comments said, like, "Oh, I always thought we were the best, but like my last year, I think we beat them four out of five times before uh, the East Finals, and we it was, and that's the first year it switched to two out of three matches for the the east and we were ranked ahead we had home court advantage and we we lost i think in five and then in four and that was still that's still one of my kind of my hardest uh, losses i'd say because i i really thought we had a really good team and could have done some damage at nationals um because we played a lot of tournaments and beat a lot of the uh you know top 10 ranked teams and uh you know but that's that's how it goes sometimes you know
0: nice nice and and I'm a Wally fan. I got to shadow him for a couple of years with Hernan and just kind of learn a lot when I was, I was still younger and still getting into coaching but what did you enjoy about what he's done there because i think uh somebody who's been around in volleyball long enough there's going to be stories and there's going to be people for and against but i don't think you can argue that like you mentioned your era he won championships he won a championship in the 90s he got a final four team with like ray zito so it seemed like every era york had a competitive team whether it was an up cycle or a down cycle right so with his longevity what did you enjoy about york or what can you tell us like about a good wally story about what uh he did for so long there
1: Oh man. So, you know, Wally, listen, I, yeah, I have, you know, tremendous respect for Wally. He's, um, you know, obviously just the amount of time he put into the program and into his athletes, um, was, uh, you know, was tremendous. And he, as, as a coach, you know, technically he picked up, um, so much like, I think that's, that's some of his strengths. Like he, he brought in some players that were, you know, maybe good athletes or physical, but you know, didn't have the technical skills yet. Like, like good example, Rich Van Hughes. And when he first came, came on board, you know, yeah, he played college, but you know, was it, we're you know, up at a different level. And yes, he was physical and he could still bang the ball, but he was trying to hit everything straight down. And Wally really worked with him technically um, and just made him to, you know, the standout player he he became and he still is, you know, and uh, yeah. And Wally would like, he would, I just think of, you know, game situations, things he would pick up on that, uh, you know, strategically we should be doing, um, you know, he was fantastic. He, uh, you know, he was pretty set in his ways and I think, you know, he's an old school coach and I think, you know, if you, for some players, I I know some players had a a hard time with him. And I think it's, you have to kind of learn to sometimes filter out what he would say, because Wally, his way of motivating tended to be like trying to fire you up, you know, and some people needed more, I guess you could say more coddling or more support, you know, and he would try to, you know, kind of be, come on, or, um, would point out like i remember sometimes when i'd mess up on something he'd point out like the four things i would mess up on before he would say oh by the way you did that well you know <laughs> and i would kind of learn to focus on the technical things when he was if he was saying anything negative he would always have some technical gems or some something i was doing like whether it's my arm swing or my speed or my timing or or whatever that he would point out and i, and I think as long as i you know, you focus on that and realize that it still was always coming you know from a good place and he genuinely mm-hmm. wanted to you know, have his, his team win and make players better. I think he could, you know, I always, uh, you know, there's times with any coach you struggle at times and there's times I, you know, I'd struggle with Wally, but uh, um, in the end, you know, he made me you know, a much better player than I was when I first got there. And I think he's done that for a lot of players out there. And that's, I think is just his, you know, his dedication to the sport. Actually, I've got a, I've got a really good story. Well, I got a lot, plenty of Wally stories, but um, when I had a really severe, uh, ankle injury in my that would have been my third year where i had an open dislocation of my ankle in an exhibition match and it was it was you know pretty devastating i had to have surgery and like uh, my literally my my ankle went over so far my skin ripped open and it was pretty crazy but um, what happened was i remember lying on the floor and i've kind of gone into shock a little bit and, you know, Wally comes up and he's, you know, he was one of the first guys there, but he comes up and he's like, are you okay, Andrew? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm okay. And he's like, you, you know, your ankle's... I'm like, yeah, I, I know. And then the first thing he says, though, after that is he goes, where were your ankle braces? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, which is classic Wally. And I'm like, uh, sorry, it was an exhibition match I didn't put it on. And he's like, okay. You know, but then this was in Guelph and um, I had to go for surgery in Toronto. And, you know, then Wally took me to the hospital and then he drove me all the way from Guelph uh, to, at the time, Wellesley Hospital, you know, and then waited for my parents to get there. And then, uh, you know, was there until until they wanted to open things up and look at things because Wally, uh, another thing about him is he can't handle blood whatsoever. So he uh, he's like, I'm going to leave the room now. And he said his goodbyes, but, you know, like, you know, like that's, you know, taking me for a two-hour drive to get back to the hospital. And at this point, because I'd been at the Guelph Hospital for, oh, man, I was probably like past midnight at the time. You know, it Was, you know, that's someone who cares and is really you know, dedicated to his players.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was the credited to the Sula rule, but I know when I was following Wally around for those couple of years, I think you had to be taped or ankle braces or you weren't allowed to practice. So I don't even think it it got to the point where you forgot them. It wasn't even like you were in the first drill if you didn't do it. So you do have a legacy there if they're going to credit that one to you.
1: Yeah, that's probably, probably for me.
0: (laughs) So yeah, let's pull on that before we round back to some more playing day stuff. So uh, I I mentioned earlier, I found you speaking on YouTube when you were speaking to, I think a group of York students who were kind of just on their career path and wanted to network and learn a little bit where you mentioned that injury kind of had an influence on your career path and you had, well, it was a gnarly injury, but you had a positive experience with your rehab process that kind of convinced you that like you can really have an influence and be around good people if you want to be in like the, the health sector, right? Uh, absolutely
1: you know it was um it was it was a pretty uh, was a devastating injury and um the first report that the i i saw the surgeon's report and the first thing you know he it said at the like at the bottom it said after he talked about what was done was it said you know may have difficulty ambulating um you know in future and uh you know competitive sports are out basically so um, you know, and I was kind of in terms of where I was going in my volleyball path at the time was, you know, was, 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 was onward and upward. You know, I'd, uh, had a good career already at York and had some, you know, tryouts with the, the B team and I thought I, you know, could go further with that. And, uh, then I, I saw that and I'm like, you know, devastated. And, uh, um, you know, I was in a cast for months and like non-weight bearing and then eventually weight bearing, but. You know, well, what was great was because I was a varsity athlete, I was able to train uh, to rehab pretty much every single day while the team was practicing. I was in the, uh, you know, the rehab center getting worked on and exercising, and uh, I had some fantastic therapists. And that's what, you know, going from being told you may have issues walking for the rest of your life to slowly seeing the progress uh, and being fortunate enough to get therapy every single day, pretty much. You know, while the team was training, I'd be. Getting it done and uh, and seeing the progress and um, just going from not being able to potentially walk or play ever again to eventually getting back and playing and being able to you know play the sport I love was just like had a profound impact on me. you know I'd had lots of injuries before but this was something that was potentially you know career ending and uh, the fact that my therapists um, uh, were able to get me back and to help me on my road to recovery and were always really positive with me and supportive with me was you know was tremendous And I kind of realized you know that's that's powerful and if I can do that for other people and help other people like that you know that's that's what I want to do and that's that's what I'm doing now so it's it's, it's you know I guess uh there is always a silver lining you know so
0: yeah yeah I'm just curious if you could share like if you remember what your what your identity was doing because we've had other guests on the show and they mentioned as soon as I like, get hurt like that's when they really realized that like their focus their friend circle like what they do every day is about sports right so with you being a university guy and talking about big goals playing for canada playing professionally like was it pretty lonely and dark there or because the rehab was so good that like were you able to pull yourself out of it because obviously now with your career you're on both sides of it working with athletes in their rehab but i'm wondering when you were a university athlete were you mature enough to kind of pull out of it or was that a big uh, growth moment for you not only to figure out your career path but also to figure out like your your identity outside of sport
1: it, you know what it was um it was a huge growth moment and i i definitely after it happened and then um you know after this the surgery and seeing that report and like i literally wasn't allowed to wait there for oh my gosh i think it was almost two months because the, the cartilage on top of my the one the talus bone was totally shattered so they had to put all these little biodegradable pins in and they didn't know if they were going to stick or work so that was like, one of the big worries and uh and I, I like, you know what? I, I was in a pretty dark place initially, but um, one, my family was, uh, you know, uh, just my parents, you know, having my mom rupturing her Achilles and being, you know, supportive that way, and my dad's had a lot of spinal issues, so he was, you know, they were both really supportive of me. And uh, then now my my now wife, uh, my, who was my girlfriend at the time, was just um, really kind of helped me through. And then. Yeah. You know, cause there's times where I, I, you know, I, I watched, I ended up seeing the video of what happened and it just was devastating. And I remember there was a stretch where I couldn't watch any sport. Like you know, I'd watch basketball and I see a guy go up for a rebound and I was afraid when he was landing. Cause I, I think he was going to snap his ankle. Like mm. it really, at one point was that bad where all I could see was people like breaking their ankles and uh you know, but partially through time and, um, you know, support from family and friends and talking to people. Cause I, you know, I was really, uh, devastated for a while and being able to talk to people about it um and then with the therapist having them just always being positive and focusing on the the gains i'd made you know functionally being able to wait bare a bit and increasing my range of motion and all those things and then you know once i kind of was starting to get back on that path then setting my path saying i want to play again you know and that uh setting that goal um was what was what got me through
0: Now, do you remember how you felt that first practice? Like, were you a guy who had to be reined back and say, like, well, let's not do too much? Or, you know, there's certain sayings about, like, ankle injuries, right? When it feels good, well, you still have to wait, like, two more weeks, right? Because you never really know about an injury like that and how it's going to recover. So were you comfortable to play at the net? Were you jumping or were you just kind of happy to be in the gym and you were going to help, you know, pass a few balls and shag a little bit that you weren't comfortable to be at the net? Or what what was your return to play and how long did that take to be, you know, truly comfortable again?
1: So yeah, I I so I pretty much the whole like that whole season, because that happened in October, and uh I wasn't like out of my cast and starting to wait bear until uh end of December, beginning of January. So even though I was kinda of around the team and the guys, I didn't that that, that season was a write-off and I I think I needed that full amount of time there. Um, near the end of the season, I remember I was able to kind of go and pepper a little bit and do things like that, but I, I wasn't ready to jump. But then I think that that summer, I just really focused on just feeling strong and getting back so that once I got back to, uh, September again, and, you know, new school year, I, at that point I was ready to go and I was itching to go. And I remember, uh, you know i got back to practice and uh you know the guys were like, "Oh, you should take it easy and i was like no man i'm going you know i just i i've worked too hard to not play and to you know push myself so i pretty much once i got back in september i just i went all out and uh really just tried to, and i think the more and the more i just kind of did it the better i felt and i just kind of put it tried to put it behind me and just focused on you know playing and it it, it, it went well
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm sure we'll get back to your profession a little bit, but just to circle back to volleyball in New York, uh I think one thing that Wally deserves credit for is what he built the York Excalibur into because that tournament's had Penn State over the years. They've had uh, teams from Japan come over and bill it and play in that. Like, I think it's it's more than just a volleyball tournament. It's actually like a special time of year. And I think there's there's a special showcase for volleyball. So is that something when you look back at York, like obviously the championships are going to stand out and the friends you made. But is, is the York Excalibur just that much more special when you're the home team playing in friends of family and friends just right after the Christmas break?
1: yeah that that honestly that yeah the ex had uh, always had a special place in my heart because as a kid i used to go uh watch you know and um then like in high school remember same same deal going to watch and with my family and and york that's that was always kind of the weekend too you get all the york alumni out so you get all the legends out too you know Um, and uh it was it was just good to see all the old guys um and then you know just yeah it's, it's hard to explain like it just had such and then the, you, a lot of times the a lot of people would come back to res just to come watch those games so you get all that you get your families out you get uh, you know you get the students heckling the other teams um and then in terms of like the caliber of teams you would get like as you said like you get penn state out i remember the year manitoba went went 22 and 0 you know, they had that, that fantastic, I you talked to Scott Kosky on the podcast, one of the podcasts earlier, and I remember that, that Manitoba team was just one of the, I think one of the best university teams I've ever seen. And uh, they played in the finals, they played Penn State, who at the time had just come, like had, the season before had won the, you know, national championship. So huge, huge tournament, you know, and then we had the other teams from Japan, like Scuba coming. My one year, it's not my last year, we played them in the finals and uh, they pretty much rolled through teams. And uh, we actually, that's another really fantastic uh, university team which ended up having a lot of Jap- Japanese national team players on it. And uh, we took a set off them, which I think was, we're the only team that even take a set off them, which was uh, <laughs> was pretty good. But yeah, I think, I think, yeah, back you know, that tournament was such a big draw for, you know, um, the volleyball community and especially for the york volleyball community and you know to see all the alumni out was always such a special thing and that's something you know wally really especially back in the day put a lot of time into and even before that too the, the other thing i'll touch on was the you know, york used to always have a high school turn which talking about the top high school teams uh was always a huge draw too so you always had like kind of the perennial favorites um uh, you know, from back in the day, so whether it was Thompson, whether it was uh, Four City, like all these these teams, uh, the the high school tournament was the same same deal. You'd have it was like kind of the premier non-off tournament that Wally really organized. And uh, you know, I think, yeah, he really deserves credit for both those tournaments.
0: And do you remember? did you guys have to billet the Japanese team? Cause I think that's one of the things that like uh, Dallas Keith and a few other York guys really got a kick out of is just hanging around those guys and you don't really speak the language, but you find a way to communicate and you find some bonds. So when they would come over, were you guys in charge of like showing them around or maybe taking them to Niagara Falls or what was the partnership like uh, when Wally was bringing them over for the first few times?
1: Yeah. So that, that was the um, I remember. uh, So my year because actually I was, I, was, I was captain that year so i went with wally and we had a translator and i think one other uh one or two other guys to greet them at the at the airport um and then yeah they were all staying they're all staying with billet so i remember we took uh we took two guys in with i was living at home so we took two guys in with my family and um you know it was a good experience yeah exactly trying to uh translate you know as before translator you know cell phones and anything so we literally like just be hand signals and they had like a japanese english uh, dictionary so we'd be pointing things out which was which was pretty funny and it was you know it was a great experience and uh uh yeah we went we went to Niagara Falls which was interesting that I remember one of the big kind of shocks to uh us was we stopped at I think it was a Burger King after being at the falls and I guess the coach sat down And the assistant coach sat down and two players came over and I guess asked them what they wanted and they went and ordered. And before any of the team could eat, the two coaches had their food sitting in front of them that was brought to them by the players. And and we're all like, Oh, wow, that's uh, (laughs) a, that's a little different. Um, And then the other thing with just the, I remember it's a Japanese team is we had a practice like the night before Excal like a kind of a joint and it was supposed to just be a fun practice. But I guess one of the players um, did something the coach didn't like. So next thing you know, he starts yelling, clears the floor, and it's this one guy on the court, and it's just touched the ball, you know. And so literally the coach is, like, launching it across the gym and then hammering balls at him and then tipping, and this kid is going and going and going. And we're watching, and it gets to the point where, like, the kid can, like, you know, he's diving, and it's taking him a second to get up because he's so exhausted. And – the coach waits and I guess he was satisfied to a point and so then I were thinking okay he's done and then he signals another player to get in and they keep going and then eventually you know he signals a third player to come in and they're doing it and this this kid was just dying you know and I and we're all like wow you know it was pretty impressive that uh you know that that mentality and they just you know they there was no questions asked about it no complaining and they did it and and then every clock for the, the players after and they were good to go which was pretty impressive
0: nice nice i'm surprised hearing that burger king story that wally wasn't like you see guys you see this is how we should be doing it here too
1: <laughs> yeah he was like man what's the... guys do you see that do you see that who's gonna serve for me Yeah, that's that's exactly what he did actually.
0: <laughs> so it was pretty funny awesome awesome so as you're progressing like you're a solars guy you're a provincial team guy you go through york Was volleyball always going to be your first profession or what was your recruiting like to go to the professional ranks? Like you mentioned you were on the national team radar and then the injury happened. Right. So but without being like a a national team guy, what was it like trying to get a contract or an agent or or even looking at overseas options at that time? So
1: that was that was a big challenge. Um, What the one fortunate thing was with the York team um, my last year, we played a tournament in Holland and it's which and i'm I'm one of the few york guys that got to go to this tournament more than once and the only reason was because i had that injury so i had a gap almost like a gap year and then was able to go the second time but um we played this tournament in holland that um it was all university age players but then wally had arranged um some exhibition matches later against some pro teams and we played we we Lost in the finals of that uh, Holland tournament the second time I was there, but we we played, we had a great match, played really well, got a lot of exposure. And then when we played these pro teams, um, we played well. So I remember one of the coaches approached uh, Rich Van Heusen and myself and was, you know, talking, saying, are you guys, you know, what's, you know, what are you doing with university? What are you doing after this? And so we, we kept in contact with them and I, Long story short, I, I've been speaking to a couple of agents, but I had this potential contract with this team in Holland, and uh, I was literally, I think, a week away from signing a contract when my mom, who's originally from Yugoslavia, and well, which now part she's from Slovenia, um, she was talking to some of my relatives, and one of my, uh, I guess, second cousins had played pro and she was talking to them and saying, Oh, Andrew's going to be playing in Holland. looks like maybe he can come down and visit. And this one cousin said, well, why doesn't he come play here? We've got a really strong league. Um, so I, what happened was I was about to sign this contract, but I sent, I had luckily I had a video, I had some stats and all that stuff. And so we sent it off and they, a couple teams were interested and two teams offered me a better contract than what I was going to get in Holland. And, uh, I thought the whole fact of, you know, going to, I'd never been to Slovenia before, you know, where my mom was from, I ended up um, going there. And that's, you know, so that's how I ended up uh, in Slovenia. And I didn't have an agent, which was, which was interesting too, which I, in some ways would have been a good thing for some of the negotiation. But uh, um, I guess, you know, that, you know, I still managed to do it and it worked out okay
0: and with your your family background, you just mentioned, could you get by with the language or what was that experience like as far as like moving away from home, getting used to food, getting used to a new league? Like how comfortable were you in the beginning?
1: It was, you know what, it was a challenge. And I think this is some one of the things I think a lot of guys um, who want to go over you and know, play in Europe, sometimes, you know, you got to say, oh, Europe, I'm going to be playing pro, it's going to be awesome and it honestly depends where you go and how many i guess you could say foreigners you have on the team too because it at times it can be pretty isolated when my cuz my 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 knowledge of Slovene at the time because my parents spoke english at home was like i knew about 10 15 words you know i knew the basics and i was like oh, my mom's like oh you should be practicing you should be here. And i'm like oh no everyone speaks english there it'll be no problem <laughs> but you know when uh, so on my on the team i played on it was like all Slovenian guys and two Croatian guys, and then myself. So they're basically all speaking Serbo-Croatian. The coach was uh, was Croatian, so they're basically all speaking Slovene or Serbo-Croatian. Um, and, yeah, and they like the guys would help me and explain stuff, which was fine. But then the the toughest part I found was actually then if after if we'd go out socially. Um, you know the guys were great, but they're not going to sit and translate every every single thing they're saying for me into English. So you know a lot of times I'd be sitting there trying to catch up. And what was tough is you know by the time I started actually picking up the language and I was taking some lessons while I was there, um, by the time I could figure out what was being said and I'd want to comment, they'd already moved on to like the next thing. You know, um, and I like I you know I'm a, a bit of a, like the guys on the team know I'm a bit of a joker, like you know telling spontaneous jokes and it was really tough because i always feel like i was a step behind so that was that was a challenge i was the only fortunate thing was in the town that cousin who had played pro previously was in the town i was in so he uh, he was a good support for me kind of just getting my feet you know getting my feet planted and uh excuse me getting me you know just getting me comfortable in the town
0: yeah that's a good point you bring up because through the show i get to meet a lot of interesting people and Brian fraser mentioned when he played in germany the, the exact same thing you'd go out to dinner with the teammates after and it's just exhausting having to interrupt or having to wait for somebody to translate you almost feel like you're breaking like the flow of the conversation right and and the other point i have is with working with the beach national team some french players have admitted to me like they have a different personality when they have to speak english because french is their first language and they can go for it and they can be witty like you were with the jokes and stuff but in, in your second language you're almost changing the way you're behaving right so i think volleyball aside that's one of the challenges i think a lot of players need to get used to if they're going to go overseas right
1: yeah absolutely and uh, you know that's that's something i think yeah a lot of people you know i know when i went i didn't i wasn't even thinking that way at all but it's it's you know it's very true um i guess i was fortunate with the team and i think that's it just depends on what you know what team you go because you'll get some teams that have players from all over and the end up. um you know a lot of times they'll end up speaking english a lot um, whereas some teams it's you know whatever country you're in um, especially some of the, I guess, you know, some of the, uh, smaller market places, um, you know, you're, you're might be the only guy who doesn't speak the, the main language that's being spoken there. And it is, it's definitely a challenge, you know, like guys, you know, I think in general, like, you know, volleyball, you can communicate a lot through volleyball, but, um, you know, it does become tough socially at times. So, you know, my way around that was always like with the guys who spoke English on the team was trying to, um, get some one-on-one time with them just to talk. So I wouldn't feel like I was, uh, you know, isolated all the time.
0: Yeah. I guess you you either got to get used to it or you got to be on like Gavin Schmidt's level where you get a translator and you can just uh, do your own thing that way, I guess. (laughs) So just one more question about your pro experience. So you mentioned the coach didn't really speak English or when they're speaking to the team, they're probably not addressing them in English. So would you have to ask questions for drills? Would you watch the first few reps or how did you get through the volleyball stuff when, you know, stuff's being explained and maybe balls aren't in the air and you can't just kind of react and be an athlete, right?
1: Yeah. So that was, that was a challenge. Um, The, what was good was that the, the captain of our team, he had played, uh, he was a former player with the Yugoslavian national team. So he played internationally a lot. And like he actually played, I remember talking when, we first met he uh you know we took me out for a beer and just chatting and everything and he he was he was like he just played in austria and uh uh, mike chalupka was there um, steve welsh was there so he knew those guys and uh he was really good for when we first started just explaining stuff to me. so a lot of times which is something you didn't have to do but i think you know a good leader does as captain he would kind of a lot of times when the coach is explaining stuff he'd be by me and just kind of saying oh we're going to be doing this Do you get it i'm like okay you know and fortunately, at least our setter spoke English, um, so I, you know, I could uh, talk to him and go through things. There's always a bit of a language barrier, but uh, I was able to get stuff. But and then sometimes, um, honestly, it was it was just observing, or if there's, you know, or just clarifying. And you know, if we're going through a game plan and the coach is saying something, like what's he talking about here? You know, um, usually the guys are pretty good with uh, explaining and letting me know.
0: Nice. And then as that year finishes what made you want to come home and start your career? Like did your girlfriend at the time or wife at the time come over with you or were you missing home? Or did you just say, you know what? I, I gave it a shot. I love volleyball, but now it's time to, you know, start my career and be a professional back home. Like what went into either not renewing or, or choosing to step away from volleyball at the time and c- come back home. So
1: I, well, two, two things. Um, like we had, so the first half of the season we were, was fantastic. We, um, uh, we were trying to qualify for the Champions League and because the team had won the Slovenian championships the year before, so played a team from the uh, Ukraine and beat them, and then we played this German team that we lost in five at home, and then we went to Germany and we lost in four. And uh, they, they ended up coming third in the Champions League that year. So we were, we were right up there. Um, and they'd lost, I think, to Paul Durden's team, uh, the, the Paris volley in the, the semifinals. So they were like a solid, solid team. And we, we were up there. So we, we had a really good caliber team. We won the, the Ocal, the, the cup, the half-season cup, which they, they have in Europe and uh, for the Slovenian division. But then... A bunch of things happened with the team the team lost its main sponsor uh they wanted a new coach and all these things so there was a bit of turmoil with the team which it was still okay but i ended up talking about injuries i re-injured that my ankle that i rolled, the one i severely injured before and that was the first time i'd ever injured it again so that kind of scared me for a little bit but and then i injured my plantar fascia as well so i was physically at the end I was struggling a little bit but what had happened was I had applied to chiropractic remotely um, while I was in Europe and I was accepted and I think I was debating still if I was going to do it or not and I did get some offers from uh, some other teams and again from the same team I was playing on to play again and I was really kind of debating and I think if my now wife was able to come out with me, I probably would have gone then another season or two. And if I felt like physically I was, you know, was going to rehab again. And, but then I kind of, I thought about it and, um, you know, it was going to be tough to get her to come out and everything. And so I said, okay, you know what, let's, I can still play ball. I'll go back home. It'll be okay. But then the funny thing was like, I accepted to get me you to know, go into chiropractic and the week, uh, and CMCC, the car parts at school here in Canada, it starts in August. And uh literally uh the week before i paid my deposit, I was, you know, getting ready to go. My phone rings at like six in the morning, my old home phone, and uh I pick it up and you know, this guy's like, Andy, Andy and all the guys in Europe called me Andy, which I couldn't stand, but they I thought I think they thought it was more American <laughs> like so or North American likes. So, you know, I'm like, yeah. It's Boyan. He it was, it was the captain uh, from my old team. He's like, I'm playing in Austria, and we need another central blocker. Do you want to play? And I'm like, what? He's like, we have a very good contract. To, your your girlfriend could come. And, and you know, it was going to be this really fantastic contract. And, you know, they were going to be able to bring my my wife out and, uh, or my girlfriend at the time out and everything, and it looked amazing. Uh, but – you know, I'd already accepted and had my you know, deposit paid and everything like that, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I think I'm gonna pass." So, you know, and that's that's what I did, and you know, I had a great, like, you know, chiropractic's been good to me, and uh, I, you know, don't regret it now. But uh, you know, I think about it sometimes.
0: Nice, nice. And what drew you to be a chiropractor? Because uh, you Know confirmation bias a lot of volleyball players have gone that route, like we've had two on the show already. So, you would be our third with uh Chase mcfarland and obviously uh Binner, obviously a, a pretty famous uh, Cairo in the volleyball community. So, what drew you to that? Because I think you were a kin guy at York, right? And then you had to specialize when yeah. you chose to do next,
1: yeah. And that's um, it, it's interesting because I initially, especially when I started York and Kin, I was really not like I i was not an anti-chiropractic but i really didn't know much about chiropractors and i really thought chiropractors were just kind of necks and backs guys you know and one like a few things happened um one i used to get and it started while i was at york i started getting really severe migraines uh and i was taking this heavy duty prescription medication for it and i remember one excalibur tournament. Uh, like I think it was the semis I couldn't play initially because I was in the middle of a migraine and was like throwing up and uh, was just praying my medic medication would kick in. But, uh, the, you know, the, the frequency and the severity of the migraines kept increasing. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying all these different things and different medications, you name it. And one of the friend of the family was like, you should see a chiropractor and I was really almost against it. But, um, uh, I was recommended a, you know, a good chiropractor who, um, I started getting treated and it actually um, started making a difference. It didn't stop the migraines completely, but it decreased the severity and the frequency of them, which was huge. And then when I was, while I was in school, obviously I was getting a lot of therapy, mainly from athletic therapists and physiotherapists. But um, I started volunteering because I started thinking, you know, like I said, with my ankle injury, I wanted to work in this field. So I started volunteering at a lot of clinics um, and I just kind of like the you know, the autonomy that a lot of the chiropractors had. And um, you know, I met some really great chiropractors who weren't like neck and back guys who treated a lot of athletes um and just had a kind of different perspective on things. And they all seem to be really love what they do, you know, and seem to be happy, like really happy uh doing what they did and really, you know, love being a chiropractor and working with people and um, I got that sense more than I did from say AT and from from physio even and uh, um, yeah and so from those kind of two things I really you know I decided that's that's what I wanted to do and uh, here we go.
0: Awesome, awesome. And you and I were talking before the show. I got to kind of meet your friend circle when I was interning with uh, Sleener and Mark Riley when they had Solstice Sport there and uh, just seeing you guys still play, which I think is funny. Cause I think in volleyball, sometimes once you're done with volleyball, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go try a different sport because there's, there's kind of an expression amongst my age group where it's just like, you only get worse at volleyball. You're not going to get better. So you might as well switch a sport and have fun, whether it be slow pitch or play, I don't know, just shinny hockey or something where you guys, you, you take it quite seriously. Anyone who knows the rough riders. I mean, I, I got to hear the origin of the shirts off warm up. I got to hear why you guys still play. So between like you and Delaney and all these other guys, how are you still playing at such a high level and still enjoying it? And I mean, uh, I got to hear a friend of George's story and how you're involved with the Fog Guys and the Masters. Like, you exactly. y- y- you didn't stop playing, and you're still playing it at a high level and enjoying it. So, what made you want to continue? That it's still fun to go to the gym, put the shoes on it, and still throw the ball around a little bit, where other people have obviously exited earlier than you have.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a couple things. I think um, one, I love the game. You know, uh, it's just I man, I still like, I still love playing playing volleyball um both just the the aspect and all the changes you know like man like when i played were work it was all still side out scoring and uh, no libero and you know and the change in balls now like all these different things you know it's, it's kind of a fun thing to see all these phases i've been through but um yeah i still love competing um and i still love you know the guys i uh you know there's like there's unfortunate that there are still guys my age that are playing um and still at a decent level so that just you know the the competition aspect the fact i still think i can i can still play there's times when if i'm not playing well i'm like man why am i doing this but uh you know uh, the times i'm playing well it's still it's still fantastic and and you know the guys like good examples on my the monday night league uh, mike spence we've been playing either against each other or with each other since we were 14 you know and uh we're both 47 now, so it's a long time, you know, and it's it's pretty damn cool. Um, and then with the Monday night team, we were talking about that. And we realized we've been playing together than most of the other guys in the team have been alive, which is <laughs> is pretty, you know, pretty funny. So, so, so there's that, um, you know, and then, um, yeah, like, listen, I, you know, after university, I was playing – when I came back from Europe, I was playing, I played some Ultimate Frisbee, you know, and uh, I did a lot of mountain biking and stuff too. So I'm, you know, I, there's other stuff I'm doing, but I still, to go back to what you said about, you know, um, you're only going to get worse, you, you know, you can still have good games and be satisfied with, you know, how you play, even if you're not jumping as high or not moving as fast. But the, 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 you know, the games, you know, you play, we play, if I'm playing like, being called by some guys to still play one volleyball occasionally, um, like the, the tournaments, the, the challengers is, uh, you know, being my age. And the fact I can, you know, at least play a game or two is, is still pretty good, you know, so I love that. Um, and, you know, the fact I think the only one of the reasons I can still do it is, you know, I know, one, I know how to take care of myself. And I think all these injuries I've had from, you know, I've got a rotator cuff tear, to patellar stuff, to ankle stuff. Um, one, one, knowing how to take care of myself now and that's something I wish I knew when I was younger a bit more both from a therapy perspective but then also from a like a strength uh and conditioning perspective. I think I didn't really learn how to take care of my body until I was done university really and know how to prepare for matches, you know, as well as I do now. So I think the fact I know how to prepare and then also because I've been playing so long stuff doesn't rattle me, you know. I can get slammed like five six times and it's like yeah you know i sent me again like (laughs) i'm ready to go you know so it's all good
0: nice nice and uh, i think you have the dual role so when you play for the for the canadian masters team i think they also list you as the team doctor so how did you get involved with that because i think it is a true national team right like there's some guys from out west there's a couple ontario guys like how do you how do you get on that squad how did you kind of get into that circle and what's it like going to like a world's masters and, and representing canada that way
1: so it's oh she's it's 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 a lot of fun uh, first of all you know like um, so it's it's all George uh, Tchakarsky out in uh, Alberta there um, he started this program oh man when I think it was just when I was just getting out of university so initially used to do these tours where he'd have guys who were either out of university ex national team ex pro players um playing against um university teams and they would do little exhibition matches um and then george has been like in you know the alberta community is involved with uh, club teams for years so i remember in club nationals once we got out of uh age division and men's ball playing against a lot of the the fog teams um out from alberta and having some really good battles with those guys so um from that he just developed into having this uh master's program so yeah so you know so george basically he's got a roster and like uh uh, he he probably still uses a rolodex honestly (laughs) of like volleyball guys from all across canada and then he uses kind of different people from different parts of canada to uh, recruit other players that you know have played at a high level and uh yeah so then you know we you get you get asked to play and George has a very uh, strong memory, so if you play well, you will get invited back. If you don't play well, you don't get invited back a lot of the time, um, or if you, he just feels you're not a good fit with the with the overall you know vibe of the team. But um, yeah, we like so we usually put squads in in different age divisions for all the U.S. Open stuff, which is you know a great tournament. And then there's a lot of these uh, Masters Global Cups where he puts teams in as well. So. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, he just, uh, you know, he reaches out to guys. And the tough thing is, because there's no real funding, sometimes you get players that just either timing-wise, you know, you got to take sometimes a week off work. It's a tough thing to do. Or just financially, it's tough for guys to do. But um, you always get some great players out. And what's what's really fun, too, is you get guys that you used to play in university and were total adversaries that you end up being, you know, really good buddies with, like uh, Jules Martins, um, you know, when we played against each other at university, there used to be a bit of chirping and stuff going on. And Jules is like such a competitor. And uh, now, man, when we played I just love playing with that guy. And, uh, both. And then off the court, we, you know, we just, we totally hit it off and had a great time too. So it's kind of cool playing with, you know, we got like Dion Goulding, former national team guy out in Newfoundland comes and plays with us. Um, you know, guys from all across Canada. And then, What's cool too with with the master stuff is you have the older guys as well. So you have the 50 plus guys. You know, and you get like, oh man, like Al Coulter, Don Saxton, um, you know, John Barrett's come out to play, Mark Dunn, like all these kind of Canadian volleyball legends that um, a lot of them are still in great shape and can still play. And it's 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 one a pleasure to either see them play or sometimes be able to play with them now too. So it's it's a pretty fantastic experience, and I'm I'm really fortunate that you know, at this age I can still play it and, and enjoy this type of stuff. And the the Masters kind of volleyball community is really strong now. So we get you know, you get friends from Brazil now and the States and you know, see Lloyd Ball playing and he's still man, that guy can still set, you know, so it's it's pretty <laughs> awesome stuff.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm glad we could give George a shout out there. I had the biggest smile on my face every time I think of fog and how it's friend of friends of George, right? Just I think it's, he deserves yeah, he deserves that much credit, but I'm sure he's not comfortable with it. That's why it's called Fog and not just Friends of George, right? So I think it's it's a great thing that he's got going. And obviously, with guys like you being a part of it, it just, it's cool to go up and down the roster and, like you said, just see the names and how people are still involved in our sport. So that's pretty cool. Um, one thing that we do have to give a shout-out, I think by the time this airs, it'll be over. But one really cool thing you got going on with the Ruffies, and I don't know if Sleen considers himself a Ruffy, but some OVL guys, but you got the Andrew Calder Cup coming up. And just tell me like what that event means and what Andrew's kind of influence on the volleyball community was. Cause I think it's special to honor him and then also have a fun, like, I think it's a fours beach tournament, but there's always a theme. I think last year was Top Gun and this year is going to be old school. Yeah. So it's just a cool yeah. way to get everybody out, but to still run it during COVID and honor Andrew, I think is just really cool. If you want to speak about that a little bit.
1: So, yeah. So first of all, you know, Andrew uh, Calder was um, uh, played for Westside uh, West side volleyball and then played at Queens um was captain of the Queen's team and then we first played together on on I used to play against him when I was still the solars and then uh, we played with each other with big up and then once big up kind of folded the rough riders seemed to engulf everyone <laughs> um we ended up you know playing together with the rough riders and uh you know Andrew was just a great guy uh um we called him the glue. he was the, he was that guy not you know, wasn't like a raw, raw type of guy, wasn't just steady, consistent, um, you know, would make a little joke here and there, but just kept everyone together. And, you know, he, um, he's one of those guys where he wouldn't look outstanding, but next thing you know, he'd be, you know, like, you know, getting half the kills for the team, you know, it's just one of these kind of really, you know, smooth, consistent players. And, uh, You know, unfortunately, I guess three years ago now he was uh, diagnosed with uh, uh, intestinal cancer, and uh, he had a really, really tough battle with it. And uh, they had a lot of highs and, you know, ups and downs where they thought the prognosis was good, and then it looked worse and. uh, it was a tough battle so unfortunately he passed away last uh, last july uh, 2019 so um with with the rough riders uh we used to host this yeah end of season out uh, beach turn beach forest tournament um and we hadn't done it for oh my gosh probably seven eight years i think and what happened was at at the funeral a lot of the guys were talking we said you know what you know we, we can't We need to get together more often. We, we can't get together for funerals and things like this. So let's, let's start the, uh, um, let's start the Ruffy's beach forest tournament up again. And, and Steve Delaney said, let's call it the Calder Cup. So, um, you know, as you know, Mike Sleen's a great organizer and then, uh, Steve Delaney too, really is good for getting guys together. So those two guys really were the, you know, the onus to, to start this back up again. And so we did, you know, and, um, Yeah. Every year there's, there's a theme they did super like back in the day, they did superheroes. They've done, Oh my gosh, uh, James Bond, like guys literally playing in tuxes. Like it's pretty crazy. But uh, last year was funny because, you know, we're warming up and guys are hitting balls and we're hitting some balls into this other court and it's a bunch of young kids there and, you know, and, you know, Josh Finstocks like hits a ball and I think they have no clue, like, geez, this is like an Olympian who's like <laughs> standing here beside you hitting balls at you. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty impressive, like just the caliber of players that was out. Um, so it looks like it's going to be a good thing again. Um, you know, a lot of guys were concerned with COVID, so we're taking as many precautions as possible. And I'm, I'm probably going to be playing with a mask, uh, but uh, it's just going to be great to see the guys again and to honor Andrew's memory and have, you know, compete, but also have have a good time.
0: Andrew, thank you so much for this, man. I, I can't thank you enough for you know all the name drops and the stories and just hearing about your career. But uh, I, I did promise you an hour, and we're right around there now. So in our in our tradition that we're trying to make here, can you just give us one more funny story to close it out? Because uh, you've obviously played at the highest level of volleyball, and you're still going. But something funny or crazy had to happen along the way that you can give us a laugh before we go.
1: Sure, uh, lo- a lot of good, a uh, lot of good funny stories, but. Um I, I one that's it kind of stands out like i guess unique to volleyball and everything is just uh so we had this tournament we played with york my my last year um in holland and you know the town we played in turns out was um defended by canadian soldiers during the war so um we were treated as you know as heroes it was pretty incredible like just the, the um you know, the people coming up to us saying, you know, thanks for what your country did, and it was really incredible. Just didn't expect that at all. But yeah, you know, the, the one year we played, we we won the tournament, so we were treated like, you know, we, there was a big, huge social after in one of the gyms, and they had a band, they had a DJ, and I remember it was like, uh, I think it was like three beers or for ten bucks, and I remember getting the tokens, and I only used one because the rest of the night people were buying us beers. So, you know, we had this great experience and people were coming up to us left, right and center. After that social finish, we were invited to this other bar and club. So we all go there and we're kind of expecting the same thing where everyone's going to be like super friendly with us and like, um, you know, be like buying us drinks and everything. And we get there and I guess because it's outside of the town and the volleyball, not as many people know us. And while we're there, there's this group of guys and they just start giving us this stare down and like really like this really like they're just looking and you can see they're talking and saying stuff and pointing at us and getting really really aggressive uh just with their manner to, uh, towards us so you know um our captain at the time goes you know um it's like okay guys you know i'm gonna go talk to these guys just to see what's up and you know hopefully everything's okay but just be ready to jump in if uh you know if something happens and we're, we're okay so so our captain mitch uh, mitch proto from ottawa shout out to you um he goes walking up to these guys and you know the music's playing stuff so you can't hear what they're saying and these guys get right in his face and they're right up against him and we're just about ready to jump in thinking there's going to be a big fight and what you know what hell's going on and you see the guys talking talking to mitch you know he's talking and Then all of a sudden the guy throws up his hand and just starts laughing and puts his arm around his shoulder and starts patting him on the back and, and all the other <laughs> guys that like their group of guys are all like, Aah! and, you know, and so they all start waving us over, waving us over. And we're like, what, you know, what the hell's going on? And the guy comes up to us and we're just like, go tell him. And the guy's like, sorry, we thought you were German. If you were German, we would fight, but you're Canadian. Come." And then they just buy us <laughs> for the rest of the night. We're good to go. <laughs> So,
0: what a 180 yeah, that was
1: <laughs> yeah yeah like we literally went from thinking we we're gonna like get into these fight with these guys and they were literally like in mitch's face ready to go and then all of a sudden boom oh we're canadian oh we love you guys go buy his drinks like it was it was the weirdest thing but uh yeah old uh you know people have a long memory in europe about stuff like that so <laughs> you know just crazy
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm glad we could uh, connect volleyball with, you know, some real world stuff and, and make friends all over the world. Dude, that's, that's a good experience that I think many people haven't had the privilege to do. So I'm glad you could share that one on our show here. Good stuff awesome well yeah that's that's the calder cup so that's coming up this weekend so best of luck have fun i'm sure a lot of stories will be told that night and we'll have to get some more guys on the show because i'm sure uh y- you may have spared some people by uh not uh giving them a shout out or a story but uh, i don't know if they're going to be as friendly to you when we finally get some more people on the show but uh we'll see that's why listeners got to keep tuning in so because we can keep getting like more and more players on the show and more and more stories that i think uh you've definitely added to the list there
1: oh uh, thanks very much josh it was a pleasure and it's yeah, it's 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 always great to talk about volleyball, and uh, I think it's great what you're doing with uh, you know getting the stories out there from both the young guys, and so a lot of the younger guys can hear about uh, some old guys like me and older than me, and the rest of the uh, rest of my buddies. So thanks very much, I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again. And hopefully uh, hopefully, a few people approach you on Monday and be like, hey, are you the guy who told the funny story? Like <laughs> hopefully a lot of the younger guys in that uh, Monday Scarboroughs league started to pay attention to what uh, you and Spence and some other guys have accomplished.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Thanks again, Andrew.